looking at Romans chapter 8. I've told you that it's one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. The fact is, I believe it's one of the most important books of our chapters of the Bible for us to understand as believers. I have lived at periods of my life in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter, the fact is, the book of Romans, Paul wrote the book of Romans to brand new Christians. That's what, that was his audience. It was people that had just surrendered their life to Christ, just committed their life to Christ, began walking with, with Christ. And so Paul wrote this book to help new believers understand doctrines, uh, how to behave as a Christian, how to think as a Christian, how to, how to organize their life as a Christian. And so Romans is a, is a crucial book for us to understand. And then Romans chapter 8 is kind of like the pinnacle of that book. And it's kind of like where there are some questions that are answered. And so last week we looked at the issue of, um, of that he wants us to live set free. And that we are set free from our past. We are set free from the junk and the stuff of our past. We do not have to walk in condemnation. We do not have to walk with guilt of the past. That we are set free to live in freedom. And this week we're going to go a little bit deeper into this. And we're going to look at this issue empowered. And what does it mean to live a life that is, that is empowered? He not only wants us to live set free, but he wants us to live our lives differently to where we're empowered to make a difference. Uh, a few years back, there was this, this email chain, prayer chain letter that was going around, whatever they're called. And so maybe you got this, but I've kept it over the years. And so let me read this prayer to you. It says this. It says, Lord, I've done pretty good today. I've not said a bad word. I haven't spoken harshly to my wife. I have not lost my temper. I have not looked at another woman in a wrong way. But Lord, I'm about ready to get out of bed. (laughs) And if you could help me for the rest of the day, I would really appreciate it. Do you ever start out your day making commitments and wanting to do the right thing? I mean, to where you start out your day before your, maybe even before your feet hit the floor, before you roll out of bed and you start making commitments and you say, you know what, today I really, truly want to do the right thing. I mean, I, I want to learn to be more loving. I don't want to complain today. I don't want to gossip today. I, I don't want to be jealous or envious. Um, I, Lord, I, I just want to live a life today of being self-controlled and I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want to have anger. I don't want to have all those outbursts and and uh, I, I want to find some people and be a little bit more loving. And, and then you start out your day. And you struggle in some areas. And you start dealing with the consequences of some bad decisions. And if you and I aren't careful, you can say things like, why should I even try? And you know, why should I even bother? I mean, have you ever felt powerless in the Christian life? powerless to make the changes that that you know God wants you to make or make some positive changes in in your life and Paul is talking about this issue about it's hard to live in the spirit and not in the flesh and there's some things that happen in our life when we live in the flesh and not in the spirit and so Paul begins talking to these believers about what it means to live the life empowered and an empowered life. If you were with us last week, you know that the, that the word that, that Paul kept using in the, in, in the first part of Romans in chapter 7 when we got the context was this, that in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, 47 times he talked about this issue of in Christ and you're set free. A phrase that he's going to use over and over this week as far as this issue of being empowered and how to live a life of empowerment 
he's going to start using this, this word of set your mind on, set your mind on. There, there's some things that a non-believer, a person without Christ, sets their mind on. And then there's some characteristics of the believer because one of the characteristics of a believer is this, is that they set their mind on something totally different than the non-believer sets their mind on. Watch this as we start walking through this together. Verse 5 in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh, that's non-believers, that's people without Christ, that's people without a relationship to Christ. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, their desires, worldly standards. They, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but, so he, he contrasts the non-believer to the believer so that we could all understand this. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds not on the flesh, not on their desires. They set their mind on the things of the Spirit. He says the non-believer is the person that sets their mind on, on the flesh or sets their mind on their desires or set their mind on natural desires or set their mind on their will. But he says, but the Christian, the one that is empowered, they set their mind on the things that the Spirit desires. They set their mind on the things that God desires in their life. In fact, is in Galatians, when we walked through that book together, and we took that book over a number of weeks, and we went just verse by verse, and this, this theme came up again. In fact, is Paul writes about this, and, and almost all of his books. And Paul contrasted for us again, what are, what are the works of the flesh? What does the flesh look like? And what does the spirit look like? And watch this, Galatians chapter 5, 19, just a little bit of a review so we all understand this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God as non-believers, but the fruit of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit are totally different than that. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. You don't need the law when you live like that. You don't need the law when you set your desires on the Spirit and not the flesh. And then Paul in verse 6 between, in, in Romans begins to contrast the difference between death and life. Verse 6 he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. can be death to relationships, death spiritually, but to set the mind on the spirit is a life of peace. And so what Paul is trying to help us to understand is this, for the, for the non-believer, setting the mind on the flesh is, is one of death 
It's one of separation from God. That person may be physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. And they will never have life in peace. They may have temporary happiness. They may have some celebrations of life, but that person will never have long-lasting peace. And we're watching this played out way too much right now in the media. It's just like it's dominating everything in the media about this issue of Charlie Sheen. It's the picture of a man that thought he could find life in peace. And we've watched him walk through all the phases. He thought he could find it in, in fame or popularity. He thought he could find it in talent. He thought he could find it in wealth. He thought he could find it in addictions. He thought he could find it in sex. He thought he could find it in power. That he's in control of his world and he's in control of the universe and all of these other things. And we're looking into the life of a man that is self-destructing. You can have all of that stuff. And it will never, what Paul is saying, listen, I don't care how much toys you get, how much fame you get, how much power you get, how big your financial contracts are. You will never find life in peace. Why? Because you're separated from God. Verse 7 in Romans, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. There's a barrier. That person's back is turned to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's powerless. And they even have the power to change. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is the individual that, that turns their back on God and says, I'm not, submit, I'm not submitting to God. I'm not submitting to God. I'm not submitting to his laws. I'm not submitting to any authority that is placed over me, whether it's God's authority, whether it's the church's authority, whether it's, whether it's authority in the home. I make my own rules. I decide what's right. I decide what's wrong. I decide how I'm going to live. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to tell me how to organize my life. See, the mindset on the flesh, it's all about you. I decide. I decide the terms that I come to God. I decide who God is. I mean, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make my own decisions. And if some do, somebody doesn't like it, tough. Because I'm not submitting to anybody's rules, especially God's. And the Bible says this person, just so you know this, is hostile to God because he has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life, that there would be transformation in your, your life. And Paul's saying, but the believer is different. Or the believer is supposed to be different. The believer submits to God, to his will, and to try to do what's right. And even though the great news is this, that even though the believer slips and falls, he or she still has peace with God because of the Spirit that is in you. Verse 8, he says, those who are in the flesh, 
cannot please God. There's no way. It, it doesn't matter how good that person is, how moral that person is, how nice that person is. It doesn't matter if their good works outweigh their bad works. It says, you reject his son that came and died and bled for the forgiveness of your sins? You can't please him. The person without Christ will never please him. Believers, please God because we've accepted his son. We began a, a relationship with him and we began growing in him. Believers are pleasing God not because we're perfect, but because we are in Christ and we have a relationship with him and we are covered. Unfortunately, there are so many believers that never tap into the power that God wants you to have in your life. And there's so many believers, if you sit down with them and you just talk to them and say, are you empowered? Do you feel powerless? And they'll tell you, yeah. I struggle with that. And I want you to know that as a believer, you have everything you need to live a life empowered and to live a life different. Watch this, verse 9. All of a sudden, Paul begins to shift gears and he says, you however... Now, however, or therefore in Scripture, or, or markers, or pointers is, is what they call it. And so it's pointing back to a group of passages or Scriptures. So he's pointing back to, to Romans chapter 7, and he's pointing back to uh, the first part of Romans, or, or verse 6 and 5 and some other verses, that he's talking about non-believers. And he says, but you, however, in other, you, in other words, you, however, you are totally Different, And so a definition of a Christian is someone who has accepted Christ, that have yielded to him, submitted to him. And so Paul says, let me shift right now, and let me talk to the believers. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And then you get his passion and his concern. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, there is a concern for every pastor, I hope. There is a concern for every pastor. There's for sure a concern with the Apostle Paul that people that he were was talking to, and it's my concern as well, that there could be people in my congregation that have a false sense of security. Man, you know this, right? Just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. Just because you attend a church does not make you a Christian. Just because you do some religious things does not make you a believer. And I have such a burden that you would get that and you would understand that. Listen, if I go to the Lions Club, it does not make me a lion. If I go to the Elks Club, it doesn't make me an elk. If I go to the Kiwanis Club, I can go, you know, it doesn't make me a Kiwanis or whatever. If I go to the Rotary Club, it just broke down. I don't even know what that'd make me <laughs> or wouldn't make me. But, but you get it, right? Just because I go to the Elks Club does not make me an elk. 
And just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. And we have this gospel of moralism that is running through communities and societies and people groups that, oh, it's just being a moral person. It's just about being a good person. As long as your good works outweigh your bad works when you die, then I get to go to heaven. Oh, and by the way, because their mind is not set on the spirit but the flesh, they're the ones that decide what is good and what is bad. They're the ones that decide of how big of a curve does God grade on at your death. Man, let me tell you something. Man, please hear me. I don't want anyone to ever sit in my church and so said, no one ever told us the gospel. It was Paul's burden. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, so he's even questioning if everyone in his church got it. If anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness. The number one main characteristic of a believer is that the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit sets up residence in your lie. Fact is, 19 times in Romans chapter 8, Paul says the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. Twelve times in Romans chapter 7 when he was talking about non-believers, he used personal pronouns, I, me, myself. My. The difference between the believer and the non-believer is what you set your mind on. I'm, I'm telling you, the battle of the Christian life is in the mind. And Paul is helping them understand that. We went through this series of conversations. We talked about how we connect to God and how we hear from God and how we talk to God and how we pray to God. And we talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus talked about who this Holy Spirit is or who this individual is. And it's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus says when Jesus is about ready to leave his disciples. And he... <coughs> Excuse me. And he's about ready to leave the disciples. And he doesn't want to leave them as, as orphans. And he, doesn't, he wants them to have some comfort. And so here's what he says in John chapter 14, verse 16. I will set the Father. I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. That word another is critical for us to understand. I'm going to come back to that word. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be with you. Verse 23, and Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is going to heaven. He's about ready to ascend to heaven. And he wants the disciples to know that I'm not going to leave you as orphans, even though I'm going. Now, listen, he says, guys, I'm going to send you another helper. Now, in the English, well, in the Greek, there's two words, two definitions for another. 
There's one Greek word for the English word another in the Greek that is another of a different kind. There's another Greek word for our word another that means the exact same as. The exact kind. That's the word Jesus used. I'm sending you a helper. The same as me. That will indwell you. And give you power. We, we, we've looked at this and just real quickly that the Holy Spirit indwells us and he meets our needs and scripture says that he, he'll guide us and scripture says that, that he teaches us to where he not only inspired the word of God through human authors but now when we read the Bible he illuminates the Bible for us that's why have you ever been reading in scripture and you're like oh my gosh that, that verse is so far me or I've read that verse a hundred times, and this time, I mean, I've glossed over that, by, that verse, and I've read over that verse, and this time, that verse is for me. It says he teaches us, and he illuminates Scripture, that he leads us, and he guides us. Scripture says that he comforts us. I mean, there have been times in my life that I've gone through crisis, and I've gone through pain. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, and there, I, didn't even, I couldn't even form the words to pray. I didn't even know the words to pray. And it is in that moment that Scripture says that the, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and begins to take your groanings and pray for you. I mean, there are some people in our church that I know are prayer war warriors, and when they say, Pastor Charlie, I'm praying for you, I believe it, I know it. And I want them praying for me, but I'm telling you what, I would much rather have the Holy Spirit pray for me than anyone else. Saturday night, we're, we're, we're moving through this. Come to John chapter 14. And there was a struggle that I was having all week, and there was a question that I was having all week and as I was preparing this. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God answered it while I'm up in front. I mean, we were just packed. We were wall-to-wall -wall people. And I'm preaching along, and all of a sudden, the Spirit spoke into my life. And so we're going to extend this series at least another week. And it's not all going to be in Romans chapter 8. And, and man, you, you've got to know this. I work hard to outline sermons and where we're headed and everything. But I'm also sensitive to the Spirit and what, what He wants to do here. And so I'm preaching along in John chapter 14. Jesus makes this statement. He says, you have heard and seen. There's a difference. And for, for me, the light bulb just went off. There's a difference between hearing and seeing. There's a difference between only hearing and never seeing. There's a difference in a believer. There's a difference in an individual when they have heard and seen God work in their life. It becomes personal. It's not up to someone else to tell them, yeah, God, trust him. He'll work in your life. Uh, Job chapter 42, 5, you can read it for yourself. And I, and I don't want to get off on this, but, but I'm telling you, this is going to set some of you free. That the reason some of you are having trouble with passion and having trouble with, with, with being empowered 
is you have heard all of your life, but you have never seen him do anything in your life. And you're almost jealous and you're almost frustrated because people talk about how God moved in their life and how God took care of this and how God answered that prayer. And you're like, he's never done that for me. Now I'm telling you, Job in, in Job 42.5, Job tells God, all of my life I have heard of you. I mean, I, I studied you in Sunday school. I learned about you in life groups. I went to church. I know all the scriptures. I can turn to all the verses. All of my life, I've heard you. And then he says, but for the first time, I have seen you work in my life. And he was never the same. Listen, I'm telling you, there are some of you in this room, and I'm so burdened for this. And that's why we're going to extend this series. There are some of you in this room and you have heard of him and you know about him, but you have never seen him work in your life. And the reason is, is you've never surrendered your life to him in a way where you yield to him. You may be a believer. Listen, there's a difference from the Holy Spirit being a resident in your life than being president in your life. You want to see him? You want to see him work in your finances? Surrender your finances to him and trust him. You want to see him work in your relationships? You surrender your relationships and walk in purity and see what he'll do. You want to see him? Listen, I'm telling you. When I was in Lima, Peru, and Pastor Steve and I went, and, 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 and uh, it was a discovery tour for ministry in the future, and and I'm telling you, God showed up and did something so huge. I saw him like never before. And after that whole event went down, and we'll talk about that in weeks to come, because it took me two weeks just to process out what God did and what it meant. And we loaded up in a, in a van that's only supposed to hold five people, and, you know, they put 19 people in there because... <laughs> Their personal space means something totally different. They'll sit in your lap, and they're good with it, and we're not. You know, hey, that's what a seatbelt's for. My space, your space. You know, get out of my hula hoop, and so, but they won't. Man, I'm telling you, it's more than just hearing. It's more than just knowing. It's surrendering your life to him, yielding your life to him. Three things real quickly as, as we close about this issue of the Holy Spirit. The first thing is this, is he, he wants to empower you. The question is, is will you let him? You're going to live a defeated, powerless life as a believer? You're going to let him empower you. Uh, watch this, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's where we get our English word home. What makes your house your home? You live there. What makes your body his home? He lives there. He doesn't live in a temple anymore. His presence is brought in this place with you because he indwells you. He indwells you who raised Jesus from, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And Paul's like, in case you didn't get it the first time, did you catch it? He lives in you. 
He gives you power when you yield to him. Yeah, there's things we can do to quench the, quench the spirit, and there's things that we can do that quench him in our life and to where he's rendered powerless, if you will. But Jesus is saying the same power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead, get this, resides in you. In other words, he has power to change your life. He has power to change your personality. He has power to change who you are. I could take for the rest of the day and run people across this platform and across this stage and let them give testimony after testimony of what their personality was like, what they were like before they met Christ. And a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and, uh, and a lot of hate and a lot of all these other things. And now when you look at them, fact is, those people that, that I didn't know then, when they tell me that's how we were, I cannot believe it. But he wants to come into your life and radically change you and radically change your personality. So you're not even the same. See, as a believer, we can no longer say, sorry, can't help myself. That's just how I'm wired. I know I'm mean. I know I'm hurtful. I know I did that action. Do you realize you can no longer say, sorry, couldn't help myself? Yes, you can. Because we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us and that empowers us and gives us the ability to change. The second thing is this, is he not only empowers us, but our desires begin to change. The longer that you're a believer, the more passionate you should be about changing your desires. Or in other words, you should notice that, you know what? The things that I desired before I was a believer, I don't even desire that anymore. It's not an issue of saying no to it. It's an issue of saying, I have been radically changed. That I don't even desire that lifestyle anymore. I don't even desire those choices anymore. I don't even desire to hang out in those places anymore. That, that there's been a radical change in my life. I mean, there was a time that I wanted to. But God has changed. And he's changed my desires, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Aren't you gr grateful you are not in debt to your past? That's why you've been set free. You don't have an obligation to the past. That's what Paul is saying. You don't have a debt to the past. You are not trying to pay off a debt of the past. There are some of you in this room, and you've done some, some things that you think are just unforgivable or difficult, and you are trying to pay off the past. You're trying to work hard enough and be better and turn things around. No. Listen, when Christ comes in you, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you are no longer in debt. You no longer have an obligation to the past. You are set free, and you are empowered to live life totally different. And before we became a believer, we didn't have the power to change. But now we do. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. Paul is saying, as a believer, we have the power to stop all the sinful things 
of the past. Man, he changed my desires. I don't set my mind on fleshly, earthly desires. I ask him, God, what do you want? What do you want my life to look like? What do you want my personality to look like? What do you want my choices to look like? How do you want me to trust you in that situation? Because I'm telling you, if you'll surrender and yield to him, he'll show up in ways in your life that you'll be amazed. He empowers us. Our desires begin to change. And the last thing is this. He'll lead you. He'll lead you to make God-honoring decisions. He'll lead you to make decisions that, that give life. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. I mean, before I became a Christian, I was led by peer pressure. I was led by worldly standards. I was led by my own wisdom, my own decisions, my own choices. And not anymore. And people are guided by all sorts of different things. But when we're a believer, we were led by him. And then how does the Holy Spirit lead us primarily through Scripture? Now, that's why I'm banging on you guys so hard about get into the Word and read the Bible. An elderly man in our church came to see me this last week, and he sat on the couch, and I know he thought he was there for me to help him. But it's just one of those God moments, and he ministered to me greatly. And in, in our conversation, he looked over at me, and he, he said, you know what, since 1952... I've studied the Bible for an hour a day. And when he talked, it was like he was speaking the very words of God. And when he quoted scripture, and I looked into his eyes, it was a man who had heard and seen. And there was power in that. I'm sitting there listening to this man thinking, I want that. I want one day that I've been studying God's word so long that it's like I'm speaking the very words. John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that, all that I've said. In other words, he'll minister to you. And this, this happens all the time in our church, whether it was our membership class la last time on a, on a Saturday, we heard some of these words, and, or it happens almost every weekend out in the foyer in a hall. It happened last night in early service. Someone will walk up to me and said, okay, shoot us straight. You've been, you've, been, you've been listening in our home? You've been following us around? Have you heard about our discussions? Have you heard about what we're talking about? And I always tell them, yeah, we bug the bulletins, and so we send those home with you, and we listen in. 
I'm not that smart. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you come here, he knows what you need better than you do. And he speaks into those secret places to where you walk away and you go, wow, what was that? How did he know? How did they know? I didn't know. Occasionally people will ask me, he says, before you preach, what do you pray? You know what I pray? God, I surrender my tongue to you. I surrender my mind to you. I surrender this sermon that I've worked so hard on so there's not pride of authorship. This is your service. These are your people. And you know what they need more than I and better than I. I surrender it all to you and I give it to you and I ask that you minister to these wonderful people so that when they walk out of here they don't talk about how great the preacher was they don't talk about how great the sermon was they don't even talk about how great anything was that took place but they walk out and say how great is our God that I felt like I was the only one in the room. And I felt like he spoke the Spirit into the secret places of my heart that brought encouragement and support. Do you want to see God move in your life? You want to be empowered? You want more than just hearing? Because it'll leave you dry. It is surrendering your life to him. Trying to live the Christian life without being empowered is like trying to trim the hedges without the electric hedger being plugged in. And you'll wear yourself out. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Just real briefly, I want to just talk to you for just a few minutes. Man, this morning, what is God saying to you? Listen, I have no question that he is. I have no question that the power of God through the Holy Spirit has been speaking and ministering into this place. And so I'm asking you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? What decision is God wanting you to make? Does he want you to come to the point where you accept him and surrender your life to him? Ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. This is your moment. This is your time. Without Christ in your life, You are hostile to God. You'll never submit to him. Maybe this morning you would consider yourself a believer and you know you're a believer. Fact is, the scripture says, God doesn't want you to have to guess about that. That your spirit will bear witness with his spirit that you're a believer. God wouldn't hide something from you that is so critical. But maybe there's a war going on in your life. You don't want to surrender your personality and you don't want to surrender some things in your life because you know what? You've built up enough survival skills that you know it's hurtful, painful, but I can survive. 
And maybe you've quenched the spirit in your life to where there's no power. And it's all hearing, but it's no seeing. And you don't get to see him move in your life and your ministry any longer. Maybe you've pushed him out of your life because you've never asked him of his opinion or you've never submitted to him. Well, I want to encourage you this morning to rekindle a relationship with him or start a relationship in just a few minutes. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand. And many of you are going to need to respond because he's already been talking to you.